You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked On Mets. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join me on Wednesdays to get in on the action. Spotify Green Room, changing the way you talk sports. On Thursday night, once again, we saw some pretty bad weather at City Field and the Mets had to postpone another game. They will now play a doubleheader on Saturday along with their other games on Friday and Sunday against the Pirates. So still a four-game series you can watch over the weekend before the All-Star break. I'll talk a little bit about this series in the final segment and how the rainout changes things. But on today's show, heavy on draft coverage. On yesterday's show, you heard from one of our social media coordinators, Jordan Grossman, and we talked about his experience going to the game on Wednesday, as well as the trade deadline. Now we get to the meat of our conversation, which is talking about the MLB draft. Jordan has gone into a lot of details and research, looking into some of these players, which I have not. So I had him on to kind of preview some of the names that you can watch out for during the draft on Sunday and who the Mets should pick at 10. We'll go through that in the first two segments of today's show. Then in the final segment, I want to go back and look at the Mets' history over the past 10 years when it comes to drafting in the first round, why they are still in great hands when it comes to the draft, even though Brody Van Wagenen is no longer with the team, which was kind of the one thing he was given credit for during his time running the Mets as he had some good drafts. So I'll talk about that, and I will also, like I said, go through this series a bit against the Pirates and just talk about what the rainout did to change the pitching alignment. But before we get to any of that, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizeOnline.com. Now here's my conversation with Jordan Grossman about the MLB draft. I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the biggest area of need right now in the Mets farm system? I think personally, I kind of see it as you can never have you know, enough starting pitching and maybe the outfield is another place that I want to look to target. But what do you see right now as the biggest areas of need? Well, when looking at the draft, I never really try to go for need. I always say just take the best player on the board, regardless of position. If you even with Alvarez, if you if you see the catcher's number one on your board, take the catcher. If it's an outfielder, take the outfielder. Um, but if we're looking at in terms of like the top four or five guys, I, I think I'd like to get another arm in there. Um, because they they have Alvarez, they have Mauricio, they have Beatty. Those are three really good hitters. And Matt Allen, as good as he is, he's going to be out until the middle of next year, probably. You got guys like Sapucky, who's kind of struggling in AAA. He's like a, you know, back and forth between there and, and the majors. And you don't really have much more after that. You have a couple guys in single A who are pretty far away. So I think getting a, a college pitcher would really benefit the Mets. Yeah, I think so too. And that maybe leads into the next question here. If there's one prospect that you hope falls to the Mets that maybe 
was mocked a little bit higher. Who's the one prospect that you're just hoping sticks around until 10? Jackson Job. It's not without hesitation that that's been my guy in this draft for three months now. I mean, he, there's always a fear with uh, high school pitchers just because the success rate is really low, but Joe is such an impressive athlete. Yeah, he's kind of like, I'm not going to compare him to the Grom, but he plays shortstop and pitcher in high school. Um, he's a pretty solid hitter, but the pitching is really, is it's unbelievable. He has a, 3000 plus RPM slider as an 18 year old and he can command it for strikes. Uh, the fastball is around 93, 95 with good rising action. He, he, that that's like his probably second best pitch. And then he's even got a changeup. where the biggest issue in this draft in terms of pitchers is not having a quality third pitch. And Job has one with his changeup. He's been using it a lot. It's got good uh, downward action and even will occasionally mix in an 11 to five curveball. He's, he's really just a, quality quality pitcher he throws three pitches for strikes um very clean mechanics uh good extension and i, I think he's the best pitcher in this draft period I, I don't even and that's including jack Leiter and kumar rocker wow and those are the guys everyone's talking about i know there's a lot of people hoping that rocker would follow the mets as well uh, is that the college arm that you would see the mets maybe taking at 10 or is there somebody else that stands out so rocker would probably be number one in terms of the college arms yeah um, there's a couple other names out there like Ty Madden, uh, Sam Bachman, Gunnar Hogland. I would be fine with any four of those guys uh, being, the, being the guy at number 10. But Kumar Rocker is probably the one who I'd really be interested in. He's going to, he, if he fell to 10, he would require a bit of an uh, overslot signing. But it's totally worth it because he's, him and Leiter are the most famous pitchers in this draft. And they're probably the most famous college pitching duo since Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer at UCLA uh, about a decade ago. Rocker, the reason he's falling is just because his secondaries have kind of fallen off a little bit this year, um, and the velocity kind of goes up and down. It's sometimes it'll be 92 to 93, and some some games will be like 95, 96. So. Um, but he's got really good um, turbo sync on his fastball. Uh, the slider is kind of like – it's kind of like a slurve ball, um, but it's when he's working it, it's 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 his main strikeout pitch, and then he's got a bit. He said he's been working a lot on the changeup this year. Um, hasn't used it too much, but it, he's definitely got an impressive mix. I think if you get him in the Mets system and have him work even more on that changeup, he can be a really solid starter. He can move through the system pretty quickly. And I think that's a, a big boost for this team. And maybe if you're trying to decide between a high school arm and a college arm because of the state of your farm system, you might go that way. We will have more of that draft coverage in just a minute, but I want to tell you about the newest flavor of Built Bar, the Grasshopper Cookie Bar. Now, this is like your classic Thin Mint cookie, but without all of that extra sugar. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 5 grams of sugar. They are delicious. Thank you to Built Bar for sending me a box to try. The beauty of Built Bar is that there is that freedom of choice. There is so many different flavors you can choose from. I always talk about my personal favorite, the cookies and cream bar. But whether it's the mint brownie bar, cherry barcia, raspberry, salted caramel, go to BuiltBar.com, see what flavors they have, and create your own box. You can mix it up, pick a bunch of different flavors, try them all out, see what you like. Here is the best part. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now, you can use our promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code locked on 
for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. So that is telling you how good these are. Make sure you try Built Bar today. Uh, if it's not a pitcher, is there a position player that kind of stands out above all that you'd like at 10 or that's also reasonable at 10? So the one that I'd really like is Cleo Watson. He's also – Job was, was my arm in this draft, and then Watson was my hitter uh, that I just really fell in love with right off the bat. But Watson isn't going to make it to 10. I highly doubt at this point he's been mocked as high as number two to the Rangers – so I don't see that possibility. But realistically, I think the best bat that will be available for them is Harry Ford, uh, who's a catcher. He's I, – I would comp him to someone like – just because he's such a unique athlete behind the plate, someone like JT Realmuto, if he hits a ceiling. He's got super impressive bat speed. Um, he's a bit power over hit at this point, like a lot of catchers are. Um, but he, had, he clocked the fastest 60-yard dash at a tournament recently. And that, that include not only catchers, that includes all position players. So he can really run. He's not just, he's probably going to stay a catcher long-term, but if a team wants to move his bat through a system quickly, there is, there's, there's even talks of moving him to a position like center field, which is just unheard of for a guy like that. Maybe third base, second base, but he's a really, he, he's really the one that's impressed me the most as I go through all these prospects. Yeah. I mean, GT Robuto was a converted shortstop. Maybe you go the other way, not necessarily a shortstop, but center field or somewhere else around the diamond. You know, I think at times you do talk about, you know, the Mets don't need shortstop prospects now because they have Lindor. And that's just not how this works because at the end of the day, prospects are currency. So right now, if you had another elite catcher or catching prospect, not that you would move Alvarez, but you'd at least have that chip on the table if the right deal presented itself. It's good to have that flexibility. It's kind of like where they are now with Beatty and Vientos, where it makes it a lot easier to swallow a Vientos trade because you have Beatty. I think the last thing I want to ask you about the draft over the last you know couple of seasons with Brody, I think the one thing he was credited for was the draft and his philosophy of you know significantly underslotting his you know five through ten uh, on the draft board so he could overslot and pay some high school players or some other guys some tough signs. Uh, is that something that the Mets will continue to do? You think because it's still kind of the same guys running the draft board, or was that a Brody thing? Uh, I think there's a possibility of that continuing because, like you said, like Tommy Tanis, Mark Tremuto, those those guys are all still in place. Um, Jeremy Barnes, the farm, the farm director, he's going to have some input. Sandy Alderson has a good relationship with those aforementioned guys. So I think the draft philosophy is going to stay pretty much the same. Brody, obviously, you know, he works some of his agent magic with uh, Matt Allen and JT Ginn and those guys. But someone who I could – if they really want to go under slot and then go over – in the second and third round, I think Colson Montgomery is a name to look out for. Um, I'm not really crazy about the idea of him at 10, but he has been mocked there a couple of times and even mentioned as high as eight to the Rockies. So that he's kind of similar to a, to a Brett Beatty. He's an older high school prospect. He's, I think he's going to be 19 on draft day. He's a pretty solid hitter. He's currently a shortstop, but he's got like a Corey Seager build. So a lot of teams don't seem really sticking in long term. He's probably a third baseman. But he's, you know, there's a lot of volatility there. I don't really see the fit, but it's definitely a possibility. 
Yeah, and it'll be one that uh, will be interesting to see how it all unfolds when we get to that draft, which begins on Sunday. Would you know what the time of the draft is? I don't it's take my word for it, but I think it starts at 7 or 7.30. And then and then they're going to be doing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So I think there's a lot going on with the draft, kind of leading in and tying into 20, all-star 20 coverage. rounds this year. So it's, it's going to be fun to see a normal draft instead of last year. What was it five rounds last season or whatever yeah, that was? Really, really disappointing. Yeah, so it'll be good to see some more minor leaguers come in. Maybe I'll have you back on after we get through the draft to talk about who the Mets pick. Why don't you let people know where they can follow you and what you're doing with us? So you can follow me at MetsFansince02 on Twitter. I actually just recently cracked a 1,000 followers. Congrats. So pretty big deal for me. Yeah, uh, you can follow my Facebook page, We Are Mets Believers. That's another page I've been running for the last couple of years. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, and then you can follow my podcast, We Are Mets Believers, on on Twitter as well. And then you can also follow my work at Lockdown Mets, where go. myself and Josh Finkelstein have been working under Ryan for the last couple of months. It's been a lot of fun uh, posting lineups, posting different uh, episodes every single day. It's been it's been a ton of fun. So definitely definitely stay tuned. We've, we've got a lot of fun, more, fun, much more fun content coming your way. And for those of you who are going to DM me and ask, Josh is not related to me. So we'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Whether it's the NBA Finals, Major League Baseball, even the NFLs around the corner soon enough, they have it covered there at Bet Online. They even have awards TV shows and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code LOCKED ON. Again, that's promo code LOCKED ON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I think over the past decade, the New York Mets have gotten this rap of being bad at drafting or bad at developing their talent, the farm system, never among the best in baseball. And it's a narrative that when you really dive into, it doesn't hold a lot of water because when it comes to at least the top of the draft, the Mets have done remarkably well since 2010. And that's what I wanted to look into today because that is when Sandy Alderson came in and took over and built up a scouting department, which continues to be one of the better groups in baseball. So let's just take a minute and go back since 2010 and look at this list of first-round picks the Mets have made. 2010, you had Matt Harvey. 2011, it was Brandon Nemo and Michael Fulmer. 2012, Gavin Ciccini and Kevin Plawecki. 2013, Dominic Smith. 2014, Michael Conforto. No pick in 2015. 2016, Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay. 2017, David Peterson. 2018, Jared Kalanick. And then you had Brett Beatty and Pete Armstrong, the last two first-round picks the Mets have made. If you go through that list, Matt Harvey, that's a home run of a pick. Obviously, injuries derailed his career, but the guy was the dark knight, an all-star, an ace, one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball for a period of time. That's a hell of a pick. Brandon Nemo, you see what the Mets offense has looked like since he came back. This guy is an above average major league outfielder. 
Got to give the Mets a lot of credit for identifying him, even though he played no high school baseball out there in Wyoming. So one of those weird picks the Mets made that has panned out. Michael Fulmer, won a rookie of the year. I know his career has kind of gone downhill since then, but for the Mets purposes, you use Fulmer and you got Ioannis Cespedes and went to a World Series. So even when it comes to drafting and the currency of prospects, that pick worked out. Ticini didn't work out. Ploiecki obviously didn't have a great Mets tenure. He's still a competent major league player, though. He's a backup catcher with the Red Sox. That's not a miss. I mean, you would have thought he might have been a little bit better, but that's still a hit. Dominic Smith, obviously a great pick. Michael Conforto, same thing. As we said, no pick in 15. Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay have both graduated. They're major league pitchers. How good will they be? It's still kind of left to determine. They got a lot of career left to kind of figure out how they'll ultimately be remembered, but those are solid picks. They made it through the farm system. They ended up getting traded, and they graduated. So that is a good pick, as is David Peterson in a very similar class as those guys still feeling out his MLB career. You have Jared Kelenic, who struggled in his debut, but everyone believes he's a superstar. And then the two guys in Beatty and Pete Armstrong, who are still in your farm system. But Beatty looks like an outstanding pick. Pete Armstrong got hurt this year, so we haven't really gotten to see what he's going to be. But you go through all that, you have at least six above average players. You have four starting level players. You have two or three unknowns. The Mets have done great overall when it comes to drafting. Gavin Ciccini is the only guy since 2010 you can flat out say the Mets missed on. That's it. And so you look at what Sandy Alderson has been able to accomplish during his tenure, and then obviously there was the two-year hiatus where he wasn't with the team, but that scouting department has stayed the same. It's a lot of the same guys. Nobody left when Brody came in. A couple people were added to the staff, but you still have to credit the scouting that was done. Now, obviously, Brody Van Wagenen was the beneficiary of that scouting department, but he did a great job getting some of those guys to sign on the dotted line, Matthew Allen being a main one, going through that strategy of underslotting a lot of players so he could overslot the players he really wanted. And it's still yet to be known how those drafts are going to play out for the Mets, but they look really good right now. So that's the one good thing Brody did in two years of a lot of bad things that he did, a lot of damage he did to the franchise. That's the one positive. And I do think, in a little bit of a side tangent here, I wonder what the average Mets fan is going to remember of Bertie Van Wagenen in, in year 2035. Is he going to still just be the guy who traded Kellenick and acquired Robinson Cano Is Edwin Diaz a folk hero who pitched in a World Series and helped the Mets win and suddenly Brody's looked back on more fondly because he got that guy? Is he just going to be a random name that you throw out there and people laugh at because it's just another one of those tales in Mets history? Remember when we had some random guy, Brody Van Wagenen, come into the the page and, and, and run the Mets for a few years during the last vestiges of the Wilpon era? It's definitely a piece of Mets history that is unique, to say the least, to think about where the Mets were and the decision that they made to hire him. Because at the time, you could have had Bloom. not to rehash this, but guy goes to the Red Sox, 
He's supposed to be the next Theo Epstein, Wonderkin type guy. And the Mets chose, or should I say Jeff Wilpon chose, to bring in a guy who he enjoyed playing some golf with. And a guy that basically said, hey, Jeff, you and me can run this together. You'll have more say on things than you ever had before. I'm your guy. Got the job, and it went downhill from there. But focusing in on the draft again. Even though Brody was given a lot of credit the last few years, I don't think his loss in this front office means anything for the draft. I think the one thing that might change is the Mets probably have more resources now to invest in scouting and to invest in more information and try to be able to identify who's coming next. And also, hopefully, they can start developing their own players even better than they did before. So I really think that when you look at all of these different aspects to a baseball calendar having Steve Cohen atop the organization instead of Jeff Wilpon and Fred Wilpon and that whole clown car that used to run this team it just changes every single thing you do in a positive way not to say that money is everything but when you're playing in a competitive league like this where everything you can use as an advantage is necessary the ability to pour resources into all these different kind of tentacles of the organization and make sure everything's strong, the foundation's there. It's just going to make the Mets a more formidable team year after year after year. That's what you've seen with the Dodgers since their change in ownership and what they've been able to do and how they've been able to win that division consistently. And it culminated in a World Series in a forgotten season, but they've always been at least getting to the dance. And I think that's where the Mets are going to be. And they're going to always be able to have the resources to maneuver in season, out of season, all that good stuff. Because I believe they'll continue to draft well. And they're just going to develop these players even better than they had previously. With all that said, draft starts on Sunday. So make sure you watch that. I'm sure it's on MLB Network. And there's going to be a lot of coverage of that that will tie into the All-Star break week and what they're doing there with the Home Run Derby on Monday and the game on Tuesday. I'll be talking about all that next week, but real quick, I wanted to touch on this series now between the Pirates because things change with the rain out on Thursday. Now I would assume Taiwan Walker gets the ball on Friday. That would push Marcus Stroman to start one of the games in the doubleheader, and the Mets have a decision to make. Could they once again push Tyler McGill back a day so that he is starting a 9-inning game as opposed to a 7-inning game, and you once again have some form of a bullpen game in Game 2 of that doubleheader. That is certainly on the table. If the Mets really want Jacob DeGrom to throw those couple of innings at the start of the game on Sunday, maybe they stick with what they have. They go Stroman and McGill in the doubleheader. Their bullpen should be very fresh after that, you would think, assuming those two guys pitched well. And then you'd have Jacob DeGrom and a bullpen game to close out that series. Either way, you got to like the Mets' chances. I previewed this series on yesterday's show, so if you missed that, check that out. Otherwise, that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. Hope you all have a great weekend. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. Follow the show, at Locked on Mets. That giveaway Still going on, signed photo of Al Leiter. We're going to close it once Jack Leiter gets drafted. 
on Sunday, probably somewhere in the top three, you would imagine, maybe top five. He's going to go early, and that will be when we close out that giveaway. So you still have plenty of time to enter. All you have to do is follow Locked On Mets and retweet the giveaway post. Also, if you want to get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes, check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski. Locked On Today updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts.